0: All right, wrestling with theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton coming to you from the confessional corner here with the third to last episode in Article 5 of the Apology, the Augsburg Confession on Love and the Fulfilling of the Law. This week we look at paragraphs 213 through 234 as part one of what the Concordia, the Reader's Edition, calls Salvation is by God's Mercy. Because truly, as Melanchthon is covering this whole thing in Article 4 and Article 5, that everything about salvation is simply by God's mercy alone. And it has taken many, many pages, many, many arguments to be able to get to this point as a summary. So start looking at it from paragraph 213. Here Christ's declaration also applies so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty, Luke 17:10. These words clearly declare that God saves by mercy and because of his promise, not that it is due because of the value of our works. But at this point, the adversaries play wonderfully with Christ's words. In the first place, they turn his words around and then turn them against us. Even more, they claim it can be said, if we have believed all things, say we are unprofitable servants. Then they add that works do not profit God, but works do profit us. See how the childish study of slick logic delights the adversaries. Although these foolish things do not deserve a response, we will still reply to them in a few words. Their reversal of words is defective. In the first place, the adversaries are deceived regarding the term faith. If faith would signify historical knowledge that the wicked and the devils also possess, the adversaries would correctly argue that faith is unprofitable when they said, when we have believed all things, say, we are unprofitable servants. But we are not speaking of historical knowledge, but of confidence in God's promise and mercy. This confidence is the promise confesses that we are unprofitable servants. Yes, this confession that our works are unworthy is the very voice of faith, as appears in the example of Daniel 9, 18, which we cited. We do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. Faith saves because it takes hold of mercy or the promise of grace, even though our works are unworthy. Understood this way, namely that our works are unworthy, the word reversal does not injure us. When you shall have believed all things, say we are unprofitable servants." We teach the same as the entire church when we teach that we are saved by mercy. But if they mean to argue from these similar statements, when you have done all things, do not trust in your works. Also, when you have believed all things, do not trust in the divine promise. There is no connection. These statements are not alike. The causes and objects of confidence in the former statement are very different from those of the latter. In the former, confidence lies in our own works. In the latter, confidence lies in the divine promise. Christ, however, condemns confidence in our works. He does not condemn confidence in his promise. He does not wish us to lose hope of God's grace and mercy. He attacks our works as unworthy, but he does not attack the promise that freely offers mercy. Here Ambrose says, well, grace is to be acknowledged, but nature must not be disregarded. We must trust in the promise of grace and not in our own nature. The adversaries act predictably and distort against faith the judgments that have been given on behalf of faith. We leave, however, these thorny points to the schools. The slick logic is plainly childish when they interpret unprofitable servant to mean that works are unprofitable to God, but are profitable to us. Christ does speak about that profit that makes God a debtor of grace to us, although it is out of place to discuss here about what is profitable or unprofitable. For unprofitable servants means insufficient, because no one fears God as much, loves God as much, and believes God as much as he should. Let us overlook these cold jokes of the adversaries. If they are ever brought to light, level-headed people will easily decide what they should conclude. The adversaries have found a flaw in words that are very plain and clear, but everyone sees that confidence in our own works is condemned in this passage. All right, that's paragraphs 213 to 222. From this article, So, a lot of stuff in here, but it is one entire paragraph in the reader's edition. So, let's take a look at this real quick. So, he begins this section by quoting Luke 17.10. When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And that is the point of the Christian life, isn't it? That we have done our duty, to the best of our ability. But still, in the end, we are unworthy servants. We are not worthy of the grace and mercy that we have been given. We are not even worthy of the faith we have been given by Jesus in his death and resurrection. But he gives it to us freely anyway. So we are unworthy servants. We don't deserve anything in the realm of justification. Because we do not keep the law perfectly. We do fail daily. We do have lives that are plagued with sin. But Jesus came so that we might be relieved of the burden of our sin. That is grace and mercy in action. So as we move on a little bit in the reading, we move to what is known as paragraph 216. In the first place, the adversaries are deceived regarding the term faith. See, the problem is, back in the days of the Reformation, but also today, in 2021, we use the same words, but we have different meanings. And this is where the common ground, as I used to do, was very helpful in trying to figure out, okay, what do we hold in common? What do we have differently? So what is it that differs us in our definition of faith? Because faith ought to be faith, right? I mean, there shouldn't be a different definition of faith for the Roman theologians as there was for the Reformers. But there is. For the Roman theologians back in the 16th century and even the 21st century, faith is a knowledge of the history of Jesus. Not even the faith of knowing the bible but knowing certain things about jesus and that's all that's necessary for faith in the roman catholic dogma as done from their own catechism but we don't talk about faith as historical knowledge faith is confidence in god's mercy faith saves because it takes hold of the promise of grace even and especially when we know that we are unworthy of that. Because that is when faith is truly at its height. It's when we truly realize that we do not deserve anything that we have been given. We do not even deserve to draw the next breath. I do not deserve to be able to finish this podcast. But all of it is done by God's grace and mercy that he gives us these things. And we're talking about just simple everyday things. Not even getting into the argument that Melanchthon and the Roman theologians are having in faith in eternal things. Because this is the important thing. Okay, if we know that God gives all of the little things to us by grace, why do we bother with trying to figure out how we earn and deserve the bigger things? if we can't even earn and deserve the little ones. That is the question that has plagued people for centuries, is that how can I gain heaven? How can I earn heaven when I can't even earn my next breath? I can't even earn tomorrow. It's all about faith and the promise of grace and mercy and that is it. When we have done everything in our lives, when we stand before Jesus on his judgment seat on the last day, all we can say is we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty, and we didn't even do that that well. But I throw myself onto your mercy, because that is what has gotten me through all of the days of my life the good days and the bad days, is the knowledge of Christ's mercy, his grace, his favor. Not of anything that I have done, not of all the good works I have done, but because of him and his love for you and me and every other sinner on the face of the earth. That is what mercy is. That is what faith is. Believing and grabbing hold of that promise and not letting go. And what Melanchthon draws from is not like the slick logic of the scholastic theologians that are teaching in the school all the different ways to twist words. No, he's going with the entire confession of the whole church throughout history that faith is that grasping of the promise. So we move on into paragraphs 223 to 226. Let us hold onto this confession of the church. We are saved by mercy. Let no one think hope will be uncertain if we are to be saved by mercy. It will be unsure without something coming out first that distinguishes those who obtain salvation from those who do not. We must give such a person a satisfactory answer. For the scholastics, moved by this reason, seem to have invented the doctrine of wholly deserving merit. Thinking about such a thing can greatly exercise the human mind. We will, therefore, reply briefly, It is essential to believe that we are saved by mercy so that hope may be sure, so that there may be a resulting distinction between those who obtain salvation and those who do not. When this is expressed in this way without explanation, it seems foolish. For in civil courts and in human judgment, issues about rights or debts are certain, and mercy is uncertain. But the matter is different in God's judgment. Here, mercy has a clear and certain promise and command from God. The gospel is properly the command that directs us to believe that God is reconciled to us for Christ's sake. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 3:17. Whenever mercy is spoken of, faith in the promise must be added. This faith produces sure hope because it relies upon God's word and command. If hope would rely upon works, then it would be uncertain because works cannot quiet the conscience, as has been said before. Faith makes a distinction between those who obtain salvation and those who do not. Faith makes a distinction between the worthy and the unworthy because eternal life has been promised to the justified. Faith justifies. All right, real quickly here. Faith and mercy is necessary for hope to be sure. Because God's courtroom is the reversal of our courtroom. Because in civil courts and in human judgment, issues about rights and debts are certain. The works are certain in human judgment because we can see them, we can testify to them. But hope and mercy are not certain in a court of law if you want to be able to be certain that the judge will be gracious to you, I'm not even sure that even if you were related to the judge, would they be merciful to you. But they will look at what is good, what is bad, and judge between that. God does not look at the good and the bad. He does not look at the works. He looks at your faith. Do you believe that he sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him? Do you believe that? We often talk about John 3.16 being the gospel in the nutshell. But really, I think John 3.17 is even a better verse. Yes, God sent his son that everyone might have eternal life, but God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus did not come to condemn anyone. He came so that we might be saved. He came that we might receive mercy, that our hope for this life may be sure, because we know that there is something after this life, that this world is not all that there is. But through his death and his resurrection, he has promised also to raise us from the dead, that we too might walk in newness of life in this world, knowing that there is a world to come where we will walk perfectly in him. So, faith makes the distinction between the justified and the unjustified, between the saved and the condemned. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, Jesus says in Mark 16, 16. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus finishes that statement. There is... The difference between who obtains salvation and who does not. Who believes, they obtain salvation. Who does not, they obtain condemnation. It's as simple as that. Faith justifies. All right, we move on to paragraph 227. Here again the adversaries will cry out that there is no need of good works if they do not merit eternal life. These lies we have refuted above. Of course, it is necessary to do good works. We say that eternal life has been promised to the justified, but those who walk according to the flesh retain neither faith nor righteousness. For this very reason we are justified. Being righteous, we may begin to do good works and to obey God's law. We are regenerated and receive the Holy Spirit for the very reason that the new life may produce new works, new dispositions, the fear and love of God, hatred of lustful desires or concupiscence, and so on this faith arises in repentance and should be established and grow amid good works temptations and dangers this is so that we may continually be more firmly persuaded that god cares for us forgives us and hears us for christ's sake this is not learned without many and great struggles how often is conscience aroused how often does it awaken even to despair when it shows either old or new sins or the impurity of our nature This handwriting is not blotted out without a great struggle. Experience testifies what a difficult matter faith is. While we are encouraged in the midst of the terrors and receive comfort, other spiritual movements grow at the same time. Knowledge of God, fear of God, hope and love of God. We are renewed, as Paul says, in knowledge after the image of its creator, Colossians 3.10. And beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image, 2 Corinthians 3.18. In other words, we receive the true knowledge of God so that we truly fear him. We truly trust that we are cared for by him and that we are heard by him. This regeneration is the beginning of eternal life, as Paul says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, Romans 8.10. And longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 and 3. The honest reader can judge from these statements that we certainly require good works since we teach that faith arises in repentance and is bound to increase in repentance. We place Christian and spiritual perfection in these matters if repentance and faith grow together in repentance. The godly can understand this better than the adversary's teaching about contemplation or perfection. However, just as justification applies to faith, so also eternal life applies to faith. Peter says, obtaining the outcome or fruit of their, your faith, the salvation of your souls, 1 Peter 1.9. For the adversaries confess that the justified are children of God and co-heirs of Christ. Afterward, because works please God on account of faith, they earn other bodily and spiritual rewards. For there will be distinctions in the glory of the saints. So, all right, here we go. As we have finished up our reading for this week, We are regenerated and receive the Holy Spirit for the very reason that the new life may produce new works. We are regenerated so that we may do good works. Not so that we may get out of doing good works, but that we may do them and have them count as for us and not against us. Because it is only in faith can you do good works. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Now, what does this mean with faith, and with regeneration, and with eternal life, and all of that? You can't have any of it without true faith in the mercy of God. And with that faith growing in us through the struggles of this life, through repentance, through all the things that have to go on, More and more good works brings more and more jewels into our heavenly crown so that Melanchthon can say that there will be distinctions in the glory of the saints. My glory will not be the same as yours because our works are different. Our deeds are different. Our faith is maybe stronger or weaker than another. And that is fine as long as we have the faith to believe that all of this is done because of Jesus. Because if heavenly life were to be defined by our faith and our faithfulness to what God has said, we'll be down in the very outskirts of heaven. On the very edge, maybe. Or we might actually have to bring in something like purgatory to be able to Bridge that gap between where we fall short and where the city limits of heaven is, if you'll take the uh, visual there. But no, what does faith do? It produces new works, new dispositions, the fear and love of God, the hatred of lustful desires, and so on. Faith arises in repentance. Faith is strengthened by repentance. Faith regenerates us through repentance because all of it is based on God's mercy that he will hear us when we cry out to him, begging him for forgiveness and not just saying, no, God, you owe me this because God owes us nothing. God does not owe us a single thing. Everything he gives us, is all out of his fatherly, divine goodness and mercy. All right, that's it for this week. We will finish up part two of salvation being by God's mercy and Melanchthon continuing to build up towards his conclusion of this article next week. But until then, This is Pastor Doug Minton, wishing you God's richest blessings as you listen to the confessional corner, as you listen to Digging Deeper, as you listen to the moments of meditation and the sermons and everything else that is provided on this podcast for you. Not because I think it is so wonderful, but because I think it is necessary for us, for you as the listener, for me as the host, that we may be better equipped to wrestle with the theology around us. Amen.